to welcome this morning uh, Brother Steve Brazell is going to be uh, filling in. I think this was planned anyway. Yes, it was. And then, uh, coincidentally, Byron got sick, maybe. But uh, we just uh, would like to welcome Steve. He's been to uh, our church many times. He's the director of the Unity Baptist Association that we're a part of, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have him. I know uh, several of you probably listen to his podcast. I know Mr. Frank uh, does uh, over our Sunday school lessons, so we just thank him for that and for what he does with our association. So thank you, Brother Steve. Thank you, Shane. It's good to be here. Always love coming to First Baptist Church in Huntington. Uh, appreciate Byron giving me the invitation to be here. I did not poison him so that I could come. We'd already planned this uh, actually a couple of months ago, um, and he kind of unusually said, uh, you know, asked me if I could preach when I said yes. He said, okay, here's your passage. And uh, so glad to be, as y'all are going through the book of Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22 uh, today and uh, looking forward to sharing with you from this passage. I, uh, I love uh, World War II movies and just study. Uh, actually, um, not a lot of, uh, maybe some pe people may know this, but um, I went to uh, the University of Texas and got a degree in radio, television, film. And one of the key reasons that I got my degree in radio, television, film is because of a, one of the classes that I took as an elective at the time that was on war movies. And so what we had to do every week is there was a war movie that showed at the school and we had to go watch the movie and then write a paper about it every week. So that was really suffering there, having to watch movies for school. I mean, how much better can it get, right? It wasn't even I watched the movie instead of reading the book. It was just watching the movie. That's all you had to do. And I love the war movies. And probably one of my favorite series that came out about World War II, and some of you may have watched Band of Brothers. And uh, just really enjoyed that. It followed an um, easy company as they landed uh, they dropped out of a, an airplane uh, on Normandy on D-Day and then uh, traveled through and all the things that they did. Um, a brutal show to watch, uh, very realistic, I think, and uh, it's really good. I really like it. Probably the thing that most disturbed me watching that was near the end of the series when they liberated a concentration camp. And as they went in and saw the emaciated bodies of the Jews and others that were being held in that uh, concentration camp and how they dealt with that. And even in a recreation like that, you sense the evil that took place. And I've read some books about uh, Germany and kind of how they convinced the Germans that this was the thing that they should do and how the soldiers even were convinced this was the right thing to do and how they would put Jews in, in trains and send them off to be burned to death. They even got to the point where one of the reasons they started burning them is because it was too much trouble to bury them. It was evil. And we've seen some of that too, haven't we? And in our lifetimes, we've seen things, 9-11 uh, comes to mind, some of the, the mass shootings that we've seen where it just seems like it was pure evil, doesn't it? It's hard to imagine how someone could get to that point and do that. And yet of all the terrible things that we have seen in history and maybe even that we've seen in our own lives personally, I believe there is nothing more evil. There is no greater evil event in all of human history than when they put Jesus 
on a cross. I mean, that was the height of evil, wasn't it? The betrayal, the fake made-up trials, the sentencing, and then his execution. It was evil. That's tough, isn't it? We're going to read about this evil that began being talked about in Luke 22, verse 1. We're just going to read the first six verses here right now, and then we'll come back to it. It says, The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death, because they were afraid of the people. And then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priest and temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver, so he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that as we look into your word and open our minds and our hearts to your spirit, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. We pray that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray you would encourage us. Lord, that we would hear what it is that you want to say to us this morning. For this is what's most important, what you want to say. And Lord, we pray your will to be done in the next few moments that we're here together. In your name we pray. Amen. Passover approaches and... This is one of the two most holy days on the Jewish calendar, Passover in the spring and then the Day of Atonement, which is in the fall. Uh, the chief priests and the scribes, instead of preparing for Passover, instead of thinking about the holy things that they should be thinking about, were working out some way that they, could, they had to figure out some way to get rid of Jesus. And they were, it says, looking for a way to put him to death. This was what they were thinking about as Passover came. The holiest events of, of their calendar next to the Day of Atonement, as this showed up, their concentration is on how do we kill Jesus? And they were working toward evil already when Judas showed up. And it's interesting how he gets described. He's named Iscariot, and then in verse 3 he says, he was numbered among the twelve, Luke says. He was one of us, Right? He was one of us, but what happened? It says Satan entered Judas. I don't know about you, but this is a curious phrase to me. What in the world does that mean? And John, John 13, 2 says the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, had put it into his heart. Paul warns us, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he warns us, don't be taken advantage of by Satan. Don't get taken advantage of. James, in chapter 4, says, resist the devil. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, in chapter 5, he says, watch out for the devil who is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are not immune to the influence and the machinations of the devil. Let me just say, though, I don't think this was a betrayal out of passion. It wasn't just something, he got mad and then he just did something. I think Judas had thought, thought about this. 
he'd considered it. And why, what his motivations were. Well, people have thought about that a lot, and I don't know that any of us know what his motivations were. But what we know is what he did. He thought about it, and he was, therefore, open to the suggestion that Satan was going to give him, right? When he heard this from Satan, when Satan put this in his heart or entered him, however you want to understand that, he was not rebelling. He was not resisting. He was not pushing back. He was ready. Sounds like a good deal. I'll do it. He went. We find in other Gospels it was 30 pieces of silver. It was about 100 bucks, maybe 200 that was his cost, his price for betraying Jesus. So Judas, I believe, is not relieved of moral responsibility. It was not that Satan entered him and he had no choice and it just happened and he was like a tool of Satan. No, he had moral responsibility for what happened. John 13, or John 12 tells us that he was a thief. That they knew, I guess maybe they kind of put it together afterwards, that Judas had been taking money. He was the treasurer. He was the one who took care of the money bags, and he had been taking a little bit off for himself all along anyway. He is not relieved of moral responsibility. Folks, that's evil, isn't it? Some of us have been betrayed by friends, and we know how terrible it is. It appears to me that you're all alive this morning, so none of you have been betrayed unto death. But it's happened, hasn't it? But to betray Jesus? Wow. That's evil. And Jesus knew it was coming, didn't he? He knew. In the midst of this evil that is beginning, if we see this as kind of a beginning point of the most evil act in all of history, in the midst of that, what does Jesus do? Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to celebrate the Passover meal together. The, the remembrance of the deliverance of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. We're going to celebrate that. It is a celebration. He, he tells, it says in verse 1, the festival of unleavened bread. This is the celebration of Passover. It's a great, joyous time. And in the midst of that evil, he is going to celebrate the Passover where he will institute what we as Baptists generally call the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist, which is a Greek word. And usually we think of that with the Catholic Church, but that goes way back before the Catholic Church because the word Eucharist is from the Greek word Eucharisto or Euphoristo, which means to give thanks, to be thankful. Jesus, in the middle of evil wants to have a celebration of thanksgiving. How do we live in the middle of evil? For it's around us, isn't it? You doubt? Has evil waned in the two millennia since this event? I don't think so. It's around us everywhere. So let's continue in verse 7. It says, then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, when, you're, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asked you, 
where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? And then we will show you a large, he will show you a large furnished room upstairs, make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. This has always seemed interesting to me. How in the world did Jesus know you're going to meet a guy with a water jug on his head? Follow that guy, and we'll go to his house. But I have a feeling that Jesus had already probably prearranged some of this. You know, maybe even this guy had said, hey, Jesus, next time you want to celebrate the Passover, I've got a great room for it. So that's what they did. It says, when the hour came, in verse 14, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup and offer, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. I want us to look at this, this, this dinner. That's what it was. It was a dinner. It was a ceremonial dinner, but it was a dinner. And think about how we should respond when we're living in the middle of an evil world. It is, first, a remembrance. And so I would say, and it fits with some of the songs that we sang this morning, remember this, God is faithful. In the middle of evil, we need to remember that God is faithful. That's what this whole dinner, this remembrance is about. The Passover meal is remembering God's faithfulness. It's a celebration that took place. It wasn't a celebration the first time it happened. You know, the first time it happened, the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. And Moses was going back and forth to, to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And, and plagues kept coming. And that 10th plague, he said, will be the plague of the firstborn, where the firstborn son of every family will die when the death angel comes by. Unless you have put blood, the blood of a lamb, on the door frame and the, and the post, the top Unless you've done that, and if you have done that, then when the death angel comes, the death angel will pass over your house and go to the next one, hence the name of the celebration, Passover. I always thought that was pretty neat, that it was just kind of simple, you know, some kind of obvious. Why do they call it Passover? Because the death angel passed over your house and went to the next one. So the Jews that had put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and were eating the meal, they ate unleavened bread because they were going to have to leave quick. And they would leave while the Egyptians mourned the loss of all these children. Suffered death because their leader had a hard heart against God. And so every year, the Jews would celebrate. They would remember the Passover as a remembrance of God's faithfulness. God saved them out of where they were. God delivered them. It was kind of the beginning of, of God's salvation of Israel, wasn't it? He got them out of town on the way to the promised land. It was the beginning of deliverance, the beginning 
of rescue. It was the beginning of salvation. It is a festival. It is a celebration. They remembered back. And so they have this big dinner. And every year they would have a large dinner and the family would gather together and there would be um, certain elements of this uh, dinner that would help retell the events that happened in Egypt 1,200 years before this event happened in Jerusalem. They would look back. And there were actually four questions that would be asked. The children would ask the father the question. and He would answer the questions and they would tell the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They would have four cups of wine to drink or maybe four drinks from the same cup. Not really clear what happened, but the first drink would be called the cup of consecration. It's at the beginning of the meal. They would take a drink. There would be a prayer, and they would take a drink. And it was the cup of consecration. That is, we're about to have a very uh, important holy time, a joyous time, but a holy time. And they would have lamb, and they would have bitter herbs. They would have a mix of apples and nuts and cinnamon and honey, which sounds really good, doesn't it? just want to have some of that right now. They would have parsley, which is not that great, and they would have unleavened bread flat bread. I think we call it crackers or pita maybe. I don't know. Pita is very popular there now. And then they would have the second cup, which is the one mentioned in Luke 17 and 18. It says he took a cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and share it. That second cup is called the cup of proclamation. That's the one where they tell the story then of what happened. And then would sit down and eat the meal. And there would be laughing and telling jokes and stories. You know, the family having a nice meal together. And then after the meal, at the end of the meal, they would have the bread. The bread that had been broken, it was called the afikomen, which means dessert or that which is coming. The one who has arrived, the afikomen. And it was that bread that Jesus took And when he broke it, he gave new meaning. Everything they had eaten during the meal had meaning of some sort. The bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And the the unleavened bread reminds them of the quick exit, right? And all of that. The lamb reminded them of the blood shed to protect their home so that the death angel would pass over. And then Jesus takes this bread, this afikomen, the dessert bread, and when he broke it, He gave new meaning. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Well, that's a little bit different, huh? Because it had always been about something else. But now he said, this, when you do this, you remember me. And then he took that third cup. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. That's interesting, isn't it? He would take the cup of redemption, and, and it says here that when he took that cup, he, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My sacrifice poured out for you. And suddenly it has a new meaning too, doesn't it? The cup of redemption is all new now. Man. Jesus reinterprets everything to say, This meal that has been about, this part of it is now about me and what's about to happen. It was different. 
He was reminding them as they sat and ate that meal of God's faithfulness to Israel. And then he took that cup and it became for us. What did he say at the end of it? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my sacrifice, which is still God's faithfulness, right? That God sent his son to bring not just salvation from Egypt and rescue from Egypt, deliverance from Egypt, but salvation from sin, deliverance from evil. He would bring us out of what, what holds all of us back, and he would save us out of our own sin, our own selfishness. He would save us out of our own rebellion against him. He would become our deliverance. He would become our salvation. He is our redemption. Remember what God has done. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember the things that God has done in history. We could name those, couldn't we? The things that God has done in history as the, Egypt, as the Egyptian slavery deliverance was one of the great things that God has done in history. We think about God uh, calling Abraham out. We think about David, the establishment of the kingdom. We think about Solomon and how God worked in his life. We think about all the ways that we've seen God work in history. But even more personal than that, we think about all the ways that God has been faithful, not just to humanity, not just to the church, but to us, right? God has been faithful to us, how God has worked in our lives. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to be able to start making a list of the ways that God has been at work in your own life. What is it that God has done in your family? What has God done in your life? We, we are to remember God's faithfulness. Because sometimes, in the midst of evil, we can be tempted to forget it. Sometimes, in the middle of an evil thing happening around us, we can ask, as many have, where is God? What is God doing? And in those moments, we need to remind ourselves, no, God is faithful. We sang it this morning, right? Great is his faithfulness. We have to remember God's faithfulness. Because in evil times, we're tempted to think he's not around. But it's not just that. It's not just his faithfulness. That, I mean, that is extremely important. In the midst of evil, remember what God has done. But in the midst of evil, give thanks for how God has provided what is it that, that we said the name was? The Eucharist? The Greek word is giving thanks. We're to give thanks. At each point in the meal, Jesus gave thanks, right? Before they had the first cup, the second cup, the third cup, the fourth cup, he would give thanks. Before they ate the dessert bread, the afikomen, the bread, he would give thanks. That's why we call the meal the Eucharist, or we don't call it that really. We're Baptists, we're rebellious, but that's why it's been called the Eucharist forever. We do the same when we take the Lord's Supper, don't we? When you observe the Lord's Supper next, next week, you'll have the bread and the, and the juice, and you're probably not going to have wine because this is a Baptist church, but you're going to have the juice and you're going to give thanks, right? What are we thanking God for in that moment? For the body and the blood of Jesus, sacrificed for our salvation, for our forgiveness, his mercy. It says in verse 19, it said, this is my body which is given 
for you. In verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus poured out his blood. He did not leave anything in the cup. It was all given for us. This is the magnificent grace of God, isn't it? We give thanks for the magnificent grace of God. I, I don't know how we can describe it otherwise. Consider what you deserve for what you've done. Consider what we all deserve for what we've done. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in getting justice from God. I want mercy and grace. I'm not going to make it without mercy and grace. I desperately need mercy and grace. We need the magnificent grace of God. Consider how God and maybe what God has provided for you to give thanks for. For what reason do you have to give thanks to God? What has he done that deserve our thanks, your thanks? I would encourage you today to make a list. You can start making it now if you wanted to. You don't have to. You can wait till afterwards, but... Make a list. Get a big piece of paper, front and back. Get a notebook and start writing in it. You'll fill it up if you spend enough time thinking about it. What is it that we have to be thankful for? How has God worked? What has he done that, that, would, utter, uh, that would give us utterance of saying thanksgiving to God? Maybe even this morning, you would be willing to say out loud, just right now, three or four or five of you, what is it? Name one thing that you're thankful to God for, one thing that God has done in your life for you that you are thankful to Him for. Can anybody name one? Amen. Never giving up. Anybody else? That was the one. Maybe we'll do it like this. I'm going to count to three. Now I want you to start thinking, what's your one thing? You got one thing, okay? You, got, you can say one thing, but I'm going to count to three, and then everybody say it all at once. Okay? That way nobody will hear you, and you won't be like making a speech or something. It'll sound a little chaotic, but at least we'll start it a little bit, right? Okay, so you're thinking you got your one thing you're going to say? Now don't change. Don't change, right? When I get to two, don't suddenly, oh, wait, what am I going to say? Get it now. You get it figured out. You ready? One. Okay, you got it. Two. Three. We got so much to be thankful for, don't we? Really, I'm honestly, start a list. Start writing it down. Ask the Lord to remind you of things that you've forgotten about that he's done. Start a list where you can be thankful for the Lord. There's so many things to be thankful to him for. In the midst of evil... Be thankful. Now, I know that may seem odd to respond to evil like that. It's like, what in the world? I want to fight. <laughs> right? I'm going to go to war with this evil. Let me tell you something. The reason that we, are, that we remember God's faithfulness and that we, the reason that we give thanksgiving to him is because it's not our fight. It's his fight. We can't win it anyway. In fact, only the Lord can win this battle. And in his existence, he already has. It is a done deal. 
We just have to show up at the end for the victory party. That's it. Now, we'll come back to that because there is another side of this. In the midst of evil, watch out because temptation abounds. Okay? Be careful. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Temptation abounds. Judas, one of the twelve, spent three years with Jesus, going everywhere with Jesus, and yet Judas gave in and allowed space for Satan to gain a foothold in his life, didn't he? It wasn't just Judas. This thing that that we're going to look at, I'll tell you, this just blew my mind. I'd never seen seen it in this context. I think because usually I just kind of treated the story of of the Lord's Supper just kind of off by itself, you know. But when I read this part about Judas first, and then what's the last verse of the passage we read today? Verse 23. That last verse, verse 23, says this. So they began to argue among themselves about which of them it could be who was going to do it. So let's just set the, the scene here. Jesus has just taken this holy time when they have had a time of remembrance and celebration of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And he has transformed that into a new celebration for the followers of Jesus into the very first. This is the very first Lord's Supper. The very first time. I mean, this is momentous, right? Churches for 2,000 years have been doing what Jesus said and remembering his sacrifice by observing this part of the meal, having the bread and having the juice. For 2,000 years we've been doing because of what he did here. And the verse following the institution of the Lord's Supper is the disciples arguing about who it is that he was talking about when he said somebody was going to betray. They're arguing. It's almost like, were you guys not here? Were, Were you not in the meeting? And then if I can, still verse from next week, but look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, And then a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. These guys are off the hook crazy. I mean, I don't understand. They have just had, I mean, you think about it, this is, has been a momentous occasion, right? This is a once-in-a-lifetime event for them, for Jesus to serve them the Lord's Supper. And the two things that it's recorded that they do afterwards are argue about who's the betrayer and then argue about who's the greatest. I don't know. How do you get to that point, right? Where you walk out of a worship, worship time, I mean an intimate time with Jesus, and you're fighting about who's the worst and who's the best. It almost feels like they missed the whole point of the thing, doesn't it? I mean, can you picture Jesus just looking around them going, oh my gosh. Oh. You know, headache for Jesus right there, don't you think? Palm slows. Oh man, you guys. What is wrong with you? They weren't having a conversation. It says they were arguing. You know what happened, right? They looked around the room. I bet it's Peter. I bet it's Peter. Peter's looking around. 
you know it's Andrew. Andrew's a jerk. I mean, they're, they're, you know, that's what they're doing, right? And then when that ends, well, it can't be me because I'm probably the best. I mean, how, how could it be me? I'm his favorite. Clearly, it's not me. It's one of you. You're not the best. I'm the best. Get off saying you're the best. Clearly, he likes me more than any of you, right? Don't you see this happening? Friends, watch out. Because temptation abounds in an evil world. It abounds. Even the sin, the, the discord, the evil that was taking place there, even abounds here. Evil. We live in an evil world. We live in a world in rebellion. We live in a world in, in disarray, in chaos, that no presidential candidate or governor or mayor will ever solve. This is the world we live in. And that sin that so easily catches somebody else can catch us too, can it? Watch out. Evil abounds around us. And we can be so easily caught up, even after having a great time of worship. We can fall right into it, can't we? Or, or are we better than the disciples? Are we more spiritual than they are? And just because they're not very spiritual. We're spiritual people. Doesn't happen to us, right? No. Evil abounds. From here, we can easily look back and see the spiritual battle going on, can't we? Can you imagine? If you could have eyes that could see the spiritual battle that was taking place in the upper room, as Jesus is giving thanks and honoring God and saying, remember the faithfulness of God. Can you just imagine the spiritual battle that was taking place right in that room? I mean, what else could lead the disciples to become so angry with one another right after it, right? Well, that same spiritual battlefield is right here in Huntington, Texas. First Baptist Church is not immune from the war. So what do we do in the middle of it? We remember, my God is faithful. He'll take care. He wins, right? And we, we remember all the things that we can be thankful to God for, how he's worked in our lives, so that when we start to look around and wonder, where is God in all of this? I know. He's here. He's here. You ever wondered why Satan did that? And I think it was the first question that I thought of when I saw that Satan entered Judas. What is he trying to accomplish? I think he wanted to destroy Jesus. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? He wanted to destroy Jesus. He wanted to win the battle with God for mankind. Lost on both counts, didn't he? Lost on both counts. You know what that fourth cup was? The one that's not recorded them drinking because they didn't. 
The fourth cup is the cup of celebration. That's the one Jesus says, I'm not going to drink again until I get into my kingdom. The cup of celebration. You know why? Because he won. He knew that night in the middle of it, he was going to win. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. We are undeserving of all of that, in need of much of it, Lord. We are so grateful and thankful for your love and your patience, your perseverance with us. Lord, you're feeding us even when we were not wanting to eat, but Lord, you still gave us what we needed. And Jesus, we look around our world today and we see evil everywhere. We know it's always been there. Maybe we just haven't seen it as clearly as we do now, but Lord, we see it. So Father, we want to announce our trust in you. In the middle of this, you are our only hope for you're the only one that's going to win this battle. You're the only one who's ever won this battle. Lord, we praise you and honor you because you are the victor over all of this. Lord, as we walk through the middle of the battle today, we pray you'd give us strength. Help us to remember and trust in you. Help us to be as faithful to you as you are to us. Lord, help us to see again all the things that you've done. heads bowed and eyes closed as God spoke to you this morning you may be in the midst of a a spiritual battle maybe boiling all around you you're wondering where is God saying in the when we're going to be down if you want to come just talk or pray. I'd love to talk and pray with you. Everybody goes through battles. You're either just coming out of one, in the middle of one, or about to go into one. If I can pray with you about that, I'd love to do that. Father, we give you honor. We thank you. Lord, ultimately, we praise you because we know you are the victor and we look forward to that day when we drink that cup of celebration with you in Jesus name we pray amen